Good morning, saints. Russ and Hazel were just talking about that movie, Eli, that uh, it's so cool. I, didn't, I, got, I guess I got that, but I didn't get as clearly as Russ just said it, how the book of Eli, that movie, talks about how only the blind can see the twist. Well, I don't want to say it. I don't ruin the ending for you, the movie, if you ever want to see the movie, but it's a pretty cool movie about the, you know, seeing the scripture and only the blind can see, that kind of thing. Okay. I want to share some thoughts this morning about the soul. I want to ask you a question before I start. Do you believe that you have a new soul if you're in Christ? Do you believe it with conviction? Or do you think it's probably true? Or do you hope it's true? Or you're not sure? It's a big question. Do you have a new soul? And that's the answer. Yes. 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 Now, right now in this room, I know there, even in this room, as much as you know, God has given us in revelation and understanding, there's questions, and I imagine some people in, and in the church as a whole, worldwide, I know there is, whether or not the believer has a new soul. Now, why is that important to know that you have a new soul? It's very important because if you do not have a new soul, you, well, let me say it this way. If you do not see and have revelation that you have a new soul, you will be hindered in the revelation of the new creation. It will not, you will not break Break through. The revelation of the new creation will not break through to your mind in, a, in, in as, as powerful as God wants it to be because you will not see yourself as a new creation, basically. So it's very, very important that we know that we have a new soul in order for us to go forward in what God has revealed in Christ. It's very important. It's crucial. It goes to the issue of do we have a new nature or do we have two natures? Uh, it goes to the issue of whether I'm holy. It goes to the issue of uh, how God sees me now. Uh, it's, it's, it's huge. You know, we sing songs about he saved my soul. But do we believe it? He saved my soul. We say, we say that, uh, you know, we, we, we're preaching the gospel to save souls. And yet, if you ask a lot of believers, those souls that you think you just got saved through Christ, do they have a new soul? Most would say, no, not yet. God's working on them. <laughs> then they're not saved. I mean, they're, they're probably saved, but his idea of saved is off. Saved means to be delivered, rescued, and brought from one place to another place. You cannot be joined to Christ, saints, if you don't have a new soul. You have to have a new soul to be joined to Christ. So let's look at this, because this is huge. Most preachers and teachers teach now that the Spirit is saved. The Spirit is saved. 
The soul is being saved every day as God works on us and redeems the soul. And the body will be saved at the resurrection when mortality puts on immortality. Well, I agree with the first part and I agree with the last part. I don't agree with the middle part. The spirit is saved, but the soul also is saved. For the, for the soul must be saved if we're, to, if we're to be joined to Christ. And the body will be saved or redeemed. I believe that too, that we, we don't have our perfect bodies yet. We wait for the redemption of the body. We wait for mortality to put on immortality. This is why the gospel was such a shock to religion. When Paul talks about the old man died and a new man has been raised, the old man, the old person died and a new person has been raised. He's talking about spirit and soul. When Jesus said, you must be born again, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He's talking about a new soul, a new person. That's why ra- how radical this is. I mean, it is so radical. It's like, it is, it is a new creation. Think about it. God's not going to create just part of you new. That didn't make sense. Paul never, never, never said that God has raised your spirit and he's working on your soul. Paul always talked in, in uh, terms of dichotomy of inner man, outer man. The inner man is righteous and being renewed every day, Paul said. The inner invisible man is soul and spirit. The outer man, the body, is decaying because of the power of sin in the body and because of this natural creation. It's getting older and older. This is, this is so cool and this is so crucial. I tell you, saints, this revelation of how you have a new soul will begin to work in your mind like, like a virus in a computer. It will affect everything. It will bring, it will drive home the point of the new creation. It will bring the revelation of a new person to your depths of your being. And you'll see, oh my God, he really did it. He really did it. Because saints, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. God is not going to finish up working on your soul seconds before you enter into the holy presence of God to make you fit for his presence. No, absent from the body, leaving this body, the real you, spirit and soul, present with the Lord. Why? How can that be? How can these things be? This is part of what the scripture means when it says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for those who love him. But the spirit has been given to us that we might know these things. Who would have thought God would give you a new soul? I mean, we can talk new creation and, you know, born again, all. But you start talking, you've got a new soul. It's like, wait, 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 wait. You see? Don't you feel that? Religion wants to keep us from seeing the great power of God in in His work in Christ. Jesus said this. He said, you do greatly err, Pharisee. 
for two reasons. And every error can be traced back to these two things. He said, you do greatly error, Pharisee, because you know not the Scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. For He raises the dead, Paul said, and calls into being that which did not exist before. The power of God to raise the dead and to create new with His own words. You do greatly err, legalist, for you know not the Scriptures, nor the power of God. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And they refuse to announce from the pulpit, you in Christ have a new soul. You're a new person. You're a new creation. You are holy. You are blameless. And the inward man is being renewed every day by this reality as the outward man grows old and perishes. Isn't it awesome? Lord, we just pray that help us see in this short, short time together, Lord, as we just touch on this, as we just taste of this, just a little bit, so much can be said of this. So many scriptures to be read, could be read. So many things could be said. But in this short time, Father, I pray that you would condense the truth by the Spirit of God and impact us all to hunger for this and to search it out. Help us to search it out, Lord. Search the scriptures to see if these things be true. Lord, help, help, us, help us see, help us hear, help us understand. For your ways are not our ways. Truly, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are your ways, not our ways. Truly, you have done an awesome thing. Even as the first Adam became a living soul, you breathed into his nostrils and he became a living soul. Even so, did you terminate the Adam, the Adamic race on the cross. And raise a new creation by the last Adam. And in that last Adam, Jesus, you breathed into the nostrils of John, James, and Peter. And the gospel of John. And they became a new creation. A living soul. A pure, holy, new, living soul. Help us see these things, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I love that, that, that verse in the last part of the Gospel of John where Jesus breathed on them. Remember that? Before, this is for Pentecost. This is, the very, this is the first fruits. This is the beginning. Those that were with him from the beginning, he gave them a very special, personal Gift of the Spirit, He breathed upon them, John said, and they received the Holy Spirit. Why did God do it that way? Because He breathed on Adam. It's a picture of the new creation. It's a new soul being raised up, a new creation. It's awesome. I want to look at a verse that I think is the most, one of the most, one of the most misunderstood verses in all of the Bible. Next to 1 John 1 9. Um, Let's look at Hebrews, please, chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Chapter 4. Let's, go to, let's start at verse 9, I guess. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. And I really encourage you to search this out because, uh, you know, in the book of Acts, you had the Bereans. 
The scripture says the Bereans were more noble than others because they didn't just take what Paul said. They searched the scriptures to see if these things were true. And I'm telling you, if I can talk you into something, some other person's going to come down the road and talk you out of it. You, you and I have to have revelation by the spirit. We have to see it in the scripture ourselves. We have to have it re- revealed to us so that when we're move when waves come, as, as Clark said, we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, every wave of circumstance. We're not moved because we know the truth. It's very important that we know the truth for ourselves, that the Spirit of God teaches us directly. So I just encourage you to search this out in the Scripture and discover maybe one of the most awesome things you've ever discovered is that you have a new soul. You really are a new person. It's pretty cool. Chapter 4. You're really saved. You really are saved. Your soul really is saved. You know, we, it's so funny. We sing about it. We talk about it. But when you really get down and say those words, do you have a new soul? There's questions. It shows how weak we are in the church as a whole. You know, in understanding. Jesus said, you do greatly err. You know not the scriptures, nor the power of God. In other words, what he's capable of. That's the point. What he is capable of. He is capable of raising the dead and calling into being that which did not exist by just his word. The power of God. Awesome. Okay. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 9. There remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's such an awesome chapter. Back previous it talks about entering into the rest. Unbelievable chapter. Uh, Verse 10. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Let's stop there for a second before I go further. If you believe God is still working on your soul to make you holy or to make you um, fit for heaven or whatever, you can't rest. There's no rest. You have to work on it. And he's working on you and you're working on it. And, you know, your whole perspe- perception is, you know, God isn't finished with me yet. The bumper sticker. And it's true. Like I said before, there is a process in the Christian life. There is a process. It's not that we immediately as believers begin walking around perfectly manifesting perfectly who Jesus is. There's a process, but the process is not a process of the soul being made more holy or the soul being made better or the soul being worked on. The process is a renewal of the mind because we are in these bodies. We see in part, we prophesy in part, The power of sin is still resident in the body, Paul said. The power of sin is still in the body, in our members. And that power of sin blocks a clear revelation and expression of who you really are in the body. Which is why the Spirit, Romans says, the Spirit will put to death the deeds of the body. Why did Paul say it that way? He didn't say the Spirit will put to death the deeds of the the bad part of the soul that's not worked on yet. Are the parts of the soul that need improvement? No. It's the body. And, and, and this is the most neglected doctrine and teaching in the body of Christ today. That there is the power of sin in our members. It's all through the scripture and we don't preach it. Because we don't believe it. 
if you believe the soul is the one that's the issue, you just neglect and, and just ignore Scripture after Scripture after Scripture from James, from John, from Peter, from Paul about the power of sin in the body. Members, in our members, in the flesh, what's called the flesh. Because it's related to the body. Power of sin, it's not the real you anymore. That's why I don't walk in the flesh, walk in the spirit. Well, if you don't walk in the flesh and you walk in the spirit, what does that mean? That's saying that in the spirit there's perf- the perfection, there's perfection in the spirit. There's completeness in the spirit. There is wholeness in the spirit, but not in the flesh. Because there's the power of sin that works in the body. Isn't that awesome? So, there is a process in the Christian life. I've said this many times. It's, it's not that you immediately, you know, are manifesting, receiving and manifesting everything perfectly. That's why the scripture says, when you leave this body, you shall know all things instantly, even as you are known. Because the moment you leave the body, there is no hindrance from receiving or manifesting. But in the body, there is a hindrance. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of God and not of ourselves. God did it that way on purpose. He brought them into the promised land, which is a picture of Christ, filled with milk and honey. He said, I will drive out the enemies before you. I will drive them out before you little by little, lest you forget that I am the one who brought you here. I will drive out nations that are mightier than you out, mightier than you. Deuteronomy 4, I will drive out nations that are mightier than you. I will do it. The giants in your flesh are no match to the power of life in God. And that's what God is getting us, trying to get us to see. when When you really embrace that you are a new soul, a new person, a new creation. Embrace it. Receive the life of God. There is something that happens inside of us that begins to rewire us. The mind is renewed. It's an accelerated pace. It doesn't take 50 years to get it. It doesn't take 80 years. It never was meant to take 80 years to finally get the truth. No. These were, this was a young church in the book of Acts that turned the world upside down. Cities were turned upside down by 20-year-olds and 25-year-olds. Young kids who got the revelation that we are new in Him. But we have so much religious baggage, so afraid, so afraid to get out of the boat and believe, believe Jesus. So afraid to get out of the boat and walk on water to him. So afraid to believe that he made me new. And yet that's the heart of his work. I love that scene in Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, where he's the scene where Jesus stumbles holding the cross, you know, and. Mary, his mother, runs over to him and tries to comfort him. And, and, and he looks over at her and he said, he said, look, mother, just exhausted from the pain and the beating. And he said, look, look, mother, I make all things new. That's when I cried. That's his heart. I make all things new. Jesus said, when I return to earth, when I return, shall the Son of Man find faith on the earth. He knew that many would not believe that he did it. He knew that some of his own children would not believe that he did it. doesn't mean you're not his child. It just means that we're so weak in the faith. So blind to the spiritual. So enamored with the law. 
so obsessed with accountability groups, so so ready to honor Moses, forgetting that the, the veil off his face reveals that it's no longer shining. It's no longer shining. Hold that, please. No longer shining. No longer shining. Okay, let's look at this. Verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience. Now, what they're talking about here, he's saying, this is talking about those who don't believe the gospel. This is not you and me. We have entered the rest. We have believed. But he's talking here about his Hebrew brothers who were so prone to go back to the law and go back to sacrifices and go back to Moses. And he's saying, look, don't miss this. There is no other sacrifice that can take away sin but Jesus himself. So he says here, don't be like the the Israelis who didn't believe that God could bring them into the promised land. And they had to wander for 40 more years until Joshua and Caleb and a whole new generation was brought in. That's what he's saying here. Okay, look at this, verse 12. Now this is the verse I think is one of the most misunderstood verses in the scripture. Verse 12, for the word of God. Now when you see that the word of God, what's he saying there in context? He's saying the gospel. Because look at this. It's clearly, look at verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2. For indeed we have had good news, or the gospel, preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith, or mixed by faith, or in faith, or with faith, in those who heard. So the word he's talking about here in this chapter is the word of the gospel, the word of the good news. And he says here, the word of God is living. Now, immediately, a lot of people say, when they hear that phrase, the word of God, they just think, oh, it's the, the Bible. The Bible is powerful, living, uh, more powerful than any uh, sharp sword. And, and no, he's not talking about all the words of the Bible. It's a very specific word, the word of God, the word about his son, the word of rest in this chapter, the word of the finished work of Christ. As God did cease from his works and finished it, so did Christ finish it. And if you believe, you enter into that same rest, God's rest, and you also cease from your own works of trying to fix yourself and enter into his rest. This word, this word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's what this verse is saying. It's not talking about the general Bible. It's talking about the gospel, the revelation of Christ. The finished work of Christ is powerful. It's powerful. The word, this word, this word of finished, the finished work is powerful. Okay? Now, look what he says here. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, look at this part. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And real quick, I'll finish that last verse. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of whom we, with whom we have to do. Now, have you noticed in this verse 12 that when this verse 12 is taught, people... Do, Never talk about the joints and the marrow. They just, well, we don't know what that means. We just got to repass that. The joints and the marrow. I mean, it's, it's very important. It's, it's in the verse. It's very, it's, it, what's that verse really saying? We, we hear this verse taught as 
the spirit, I mean, the word of God is so sharp. It goes in and it can make the spirit be born again. It, it divides soul and spirit. It makes the spirit be born, born again. It, but the soul, God's still working on the soul. But this word is so powerful. It goes right to the spirit. See, it divides, see, it divides spirit and soul. Is that what that's saying? No. But that's what they say. And they totally ignore joints and marrow. Where does that fit in? What is that about? He's talking here about the visible and the invisible. He's talking here about the body, the outer man and the inner man. See, joints and marrow speak of the body. Joints and the marrow within the bone. The marrow is where blood is produced. Blood is made in the marrow of the bone. When you have to have a, a marrow transplant because the blood's got problems with the blood, they go into the bone marrow to, to reproduce blood. The blood is produced in the marrow of the bone. Life is in the blood. The, so you have the marrow in the bone and you have the joints. What is that saying? And why did he, why did he mention a sword? Okay, think about this, saints. The sword in battle can only push as deep. The deepest you can push in the body with a sword, the deepest you can push is the marrow. Past the skin, past the organs, the skeleton, past even the joints, even to the core of the bone itself is the deepest, deepest part of the human body, the marrow. Take the flesh away, take the organs away, you have a skeleton. Take the bone away, you have marrow. Marrow, marrow. The sharpest sword on this planet can only hit the marrow of the body. You see what he's saying? He is not saying that the word of God is dividing spirit and soul. He's saying that the word of God divides, is sharper than a, a two-edged sword in this world that can only hit the marrow, the deepest in the body. This word pierces beyond the physical into the invisible person. And just as the joint responds to soul, which means movement, soul, joints correspond to soul, movement, manifestation, life, movement. So does marrow correspond to spirit where life is, for life is in the blood. So he's actually dividing, not here spirit and soul to give some complicated teaching about the spirit and soul. No, it's very simple. He's saying there's a body that has joints and marrow and within there is soul. And spirit, and the only sword that can pierce all the way through the body to the inner man is the Word of God. You see that? He couples joints and marrow with soul and spirit. What's being divided here? The body, joints and marrow, with the invisible inner man, soul and spirit. Think about it this way, saints. The soul and the spirit they are distinguishable. They are distinguishable. They are not the same thing. But they are... What's the word? Inseparable. inseparable. They are inseparable. It's like making tea. You have the tea, you have the water, you put it together. You can't separate that tea from that water. But you know there's water in there and there's tea. But they're inseparable. Soul is distinguishable from spirit. 
That's why when Jesus said, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water, he's referring to the spirit. Your innermost being is like the marrow in the bone. It's where blood is produced, where life is. The marrow in the bone corresponds to the spirit in the invisible man, the, the new creation. Because the visible is a picture of the invisible. That which is seen explains what is unseen. Okay, so, so what God is saying here in this verse is very simple. That the good news of his rest comes it's so powerful. It goes beyond what a sword can do with the body. It goes to the real you, the invisible you which is soul and spirit, distinguishable but inseparable inner man. Paul always referred to the inner man as the one who was new, not just the spirit and the soul being worked on. That's not even in Scripture. We made that up because we didn't believe that we really are a new soul, a new person, a new creation. We couldn't believe it because you know why? Because we still sin. We still sin and we say, now, wait a minute, this can't be true because we still sin. I mean, if if I have a new soul and I'm, I'm a new person, then why am I still doing this stuff, thinking this stuff? So it must be, that must be right. Religion must have it right. It's the new, we have a new spirit, but God's still working on my soul. Paul had the same dilemma in Romans 7. What did Paul say? Romans 7. Paul said, we don't have time to read that, but just look at Romans 7. The key's right there. Romans 7. Paul said that he didn't understand what was happening to him. He knew that on the inside, as a new creation, he delighted in everything God said and did. And he wanted to follow God. He wanted to be, he had a new heart. He had, he knew, he had all these things were inside of him. Awesome, new creation. And yet, when he would go, go and do good, he found himself doing evil. And he's like, what is the deal here? I mean, am I new or not? So Paul said, you know, I had the knowledge, my mind was, I had the knowledge of right. I had the will to do right. I had the emotion even on track because I hated sin. I hate what I do. I hate evil, Paul said. And some people have described the soul as the part of us or the person, the personality that is made of our mind, our will, our emotion. And that's a pretty good definition, but there are other things, there's other things involved in that, but... Um, but, you know, mind, will, and emotion, just for the purpose of this short time we have, that's, that's cool. It's, we're all individual persons and personalities with a mind and a will and, emo- and emotion. Well, Paul describes in Romans 7 all three of those things as being fine. I had the knowledge. My mind was fine. Um, my will was fine. I had a new will. I willed to do God's work. My emotion was fine. I hated sin. But, he said, I discovered, God revealed to me that that there was a power, a principle in my members that was bringing my mind into captivity. Because the mind, I have the mind of Christ. So what's the deal? A power in my members, he said, in my body, that every time I would want to do good, that that simple reality of having a new mind, a new will, and new emotions was not enough to overcome the power of sin in my body. And I'd be brought into captivity every time. And so he realized that, wow, even though I want to do right, I'm really relying too much on my baggage of the law. I'm really trying to, 
I'm, I'm, I'm try, he says, I'm trying to, to, um, to do the, uh, the law of God. I'm trying, I'm sure, that's why he said, he's, I serve the law of God with, with my mind, he says. He goes, I've, I found myself really, I'm serving the law of God with my mind. I still have this legalistic baggage in me. I'm, I'm trying to live the Christian life by serving the law of God. That's what he says, Romans 7. And if I try to serve the law of God, not realizing that I, I think it's good, you know, my intentions are good, I want to serve God, but I'm really serving the law of God. And in my own strength. And because when I'm trying to serve the law of God and do what is right, because I want to serve the law of God and do what is right, because I have a new heart now and I, I want to do the right thing, but I'm still in that legalistic track of Old Testament thinking, Old Covenant thinking. So when I do that, though, I, I come up against a brick wall and the power of sin in the body is more powerful than my desire to serve the law of God in, with my mind. I see another power, this is all Romans 7, another power working in me that brings my mind into captivity every time. So he says, who shall deliver me, deliver me from this body of death? Body. This body of death. Because on the inside, he's as good as he's ever going to be. He's as new as he's ever going to be. He's as holy as he's ever going to be. He's a new creation. And God, when God creates, he doesn't create halfway. Think about that. God, when God creates, it's good. When he created everything, he said, it is good. When he created man, he said, it's very good. And when, he, when we were created in Christ Jesus, I believe he said it's very, very good. <laughs> so, this is awesome. Paul explains it right there. So then he says, oh, I get it now. He says in Romans 8, goes into Romans 8, he goes, I get it now. First of all, he goes, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. For there is no law, there's no Transgression. So even though I, I'm sinning as a believer, there's no condemnation because sin is not imputed to me anymore. I'm not under law. And if there is no law, there's no transgression. So even though I do sin in this body sometimes because I'm walking after the flesh, not after the spirit, there's no condemnation because sin is not imputed because that's not me, number one. And number two, I'm not under the law. And when there is no law, there's no transgression. And where there's no law, sin is not imputed. All these verses. Okay. So first he says, this is the, the biggest foundation you've got to get. He says, you've got to realize there's no condemnation. When you, when you blow it and you screw up and as a new believer learning how to walk in the spirit, there's no condemnation, period. Then he goes and talks about the mind being renewed to the things of the spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Then he talks about relying on the life. He goes, I discovered another law, a law that's a principle that's more powerful than the principle of sin in the body. He said, it's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And that's the key. Romans 8 is all about the spirit of life. So where before, as a new creation, he was still tracking with old covenant thinking, trying to serve the law of God, finding himself hitting a brick wall every time. Now he realizes, oh my God, it's really true. I am new. That's why I have these desires to do right. That's why I'm upset with myself. Because I want to do good. And then he realizes, I learned there's a higher law than the law of sin in the flesh, there's a law of sin, I mean, law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And so then the whole chapter 8 talks about this reliance on another living his own life. So now he goes, I now serve God, not the law of God. I serve God in my spirit. Big difference. Big difference. Big difference. Believers who are serving the law of God are failing miserably. 
But those who get the revelation that, wow, sin is no longer imputed. There's no condemnation. I am a new soul. I'm a new person. I'm in union with him. I sit with him in heavenly places. I don't live by my own strength, but I live by the life of another. The law of the spirit of life is more powerful than the law of the power of sin in the body. For the spirit will put to death the deeds of the body. Resurrection life is more powerful than the death of sin. See, Abraham considered his own body as good as dead. It's a picture of sin. Sin brings death. He considered his own body as good as dead. And yet life came forth. Isaac, the beginning revelation of how life is greater than sin. Life is greater than sin. So we enter this rest. And what this is saying here is that those, those Hebrews, this spirit... I mean, this word of God, a word of rest, goes right into the heart. And a discerner of thoughts and intents. What are thoughts and intents? Thoughts refer to the soul. Intents refer to the spirit. Thoughts, soul. Intents, spirit. So he's actually saying this word of the gospel goes into this inner man sharper than any two-edged sword because no sword can reach this place. No sword from this creation can reach this place. And in this place, he's not talking about dividing your soul and your spirit. He's talking about dividing the body from the inner man, from the seen to the unseen. A sword in battle can only go as far as the marrow. But this sword in this battle goes to the invisible person. And in that place, this invisible person, this gospel reveals the thoughts and intents of the heart of the person receiving, responding. Harden not your heart. If you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Against this, he knows your thoughts. He knows the intents. And if you are seeking self-righteousness, if you're seeking your own, if you're seeking something other than him, then you will not hear this and you will not enter his rest. For we lay bare and open before him for whom we have to do, the scripture says. This whole, whole question is for a second, guys. So, you see it? You see it, saints? This is not talking about a complicated teaching. This, the writer of the Hebrews that's talking about entering into rest does, is not introducing this complex thing about soul and spirit. No, it's the joints and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. He's coupling two things. Body, outer man, and invisible person, inner man, who is composed of soul and spirit. Isn't that cool? Yes. If you say you're a new person in Christ... How can you say you're a new person in Christ? And with the next breath say, but only my spirit is new. My soul is not. The Holy Spirit in you, I know, is saying, "Uh uh-uh. But men are saying it so loud. And religion is saying it so loud, we're afraid to say otherwise. You listen to the Spirit of God. You listen to the Spirit of God. You let awaken inside of you that you really are a new person because you're a new soul. You're a new soul. A new soul. A new soul. A new soul. A new person. Let the Spirit give us words. We, we speak spiritual words to combine spiritual ideas. Use these words for an impact. People have heard born again since Jimmy Carter. 
born again, president, born again, born again. But you tell someone, no, if you're born again, you have a new soul. They're going to start thinking and searching it and looking into things and looking at the scripture. And then what happens is that, oh my God, you realize it's really true. There's nothing separating me from God. No wonder Paul said, I am seated now in the heavenlies with him, together with him. You realize that there's nothing, this veil of flesh and blood is the only thing that keeps you from seeing God face to face, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Jude said he is able to present you blameless in his presence with exceeding joy. He's not going to finish the job real fast before you get there. It is instantaneous in the twinkling of an eye transformed from mortality to immortality in his presence. You better be perfect or you're not you're going to burn in his presence. And I'm telling you, you're perfect. Jesus said, if you believe on me, you are not in your flesh. He who believes on me will not die in their flesh, Jesus said. And they will not die in their sins. They will not die in their sins. They're not in their flesh. What is he saying? He's saying you're new if you're in him. Oh, the half has not been told. I'm telling you, these are keys to the kingdom. Let the spirit like... Virus in a computer. Jesus said the word of the kingdom is like leaven. We used to hear that word in terms of sin all the time, right? Jesus said it's also the same principle for the kingdom of heaven. It's like leaven. A woman takes three measures of leaven, puts it in the dough, lets it rest. Three speaks of revelation. Anytime you see three things in the scripture, like the other day, the, verse, I mean the, uh, the story about the kings, the lepers, and the, all that. The sound of the army, the sound of this, the sound. Anytime you see threes, three things coupled in Scripture, or the number three, God is saying something very important is being revealed here. It's a revelation of something. The three speaks of the revelation. The third day he was raised from the dead. So when the woman put three measures of leaven in the dough, three measures of leaven, and rested, the whole thing was leaven. Such is the kingdom of heaven. A man plants a seed, Jesus said, and rises day and night, day and night, and knows not how it grows. For the earth brings forth fruit of herself. Life after his own kind. He made trees and seed that they might produce after its own kind. And you have the seed of God in you. And the real you cannot sin, John says in 1 John First John says you have the seed of God in you and you cannot sin. First John, that's scripture. Be released from this legalistic view of flesh and religion. See who you are. For if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's not even us anyway. It's the power of sin that works in our mortal body, our members. Which, and we are no longer of this creation, Hebrews says. We are no longer of this creation. We are no longer from below, but from above. New Jerusalem above is our mother. Let it explode in you. Let all this just minister. Rivers of living water. That brings light. He who follows him shall have the light 
of life. What does that mean? The light of life. It means his life carries revelation. We see. We see. We see. Faith comes by hearing. Seeing. Faith grows. Faith is what will energize the life. He who believes on me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. It is a gospel that's worthy of God. And religion can't touch it. Religion will fight it. That's how good he is. Saints, let me take your questions afterwards because we have to go, but thank you so much for, for your heart. Thank you for listening. Lord, we pray that, Lord, help us see more clearly than ever. We're a new soul. Oh, help us never forget who we are. Oh, my sons, my daughters, I have raised you. I have made you one with myself. A new person. Help us see these things, Lord. We wait only for the redemption of the body. Everything else has been done. Renew our minds every day, Lord. The spirit of our mind, the new mind, renew us that we might see clearly, even though through a glass darkly in these bodies. And as we see more and more, we will manifest more and more of who you are and who we are in you, going from faith to faith, to from glory to glory. It's your way. You're not working on anything. You sat down on the right hand of God. Lord, may when you return... May you find much faith on the earth. Help us to be witnesses of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.